Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 147 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about my reflections primarily on attending Legal Tech New York 2015 and some of our observations, the both of us, about the current state of legal technology. In this episode, we wanted to continue our new and occasional series of fresh looks at old technologies that might have been forgotten, but uh, might now be ready for prime time. Next up, and for some the holy grail of technology, the paperless office. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be revisiting the idea of the paperless office and uh, whether we're any closer to it. Uh, In our second segment, we try to understand uh, the undying devotion to WordPerfect 5.1 that some lawyers continue to have. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our first segment, our first topic, and that's the paperless office. Back when we recorded our 2015 resolutions episode, one of your Dennis's recommendations was to revisit something old uh, and, and see if it's uh, new again, if, uh, if it has been revitalized or people are talking about it again. Uh, the What we would call, I guess, the mythical paperless office is definitely something that fits into that category, so we thought it would be a good idea to talk about it. We've been talking about paperless for years, and there's a lot of lawyers, I think there are a lot of lawyers, who've greatly reduced the amount of paper in their practice, but I would argue, and I will argue soon, that there are still a lot of lawyers out there who feel like they're still buried in paper and still haven't made much of a move to the paperless office. What about you, Dennis? How close are you to the paperless office these days? Well, I was uh, working on my taxes the last weekend, and I can say that I felt as far away from paperless as it's possible to get. It's um, there were just I just still have stacks of receipts and papers and stuff like that, and some I've got some things scanned, um, and I keep trying to do better at it. But ultimately, I still find a a lot of paper around me. Um, And and I try to think of some of the reasons for that, you know, is that there's still a lot of paper that comes to us on a regular basis. It's still a little bit easier for me to read on paper as opposed to some monitors and and some screens. So that that has something to do with it. And I was thinking about what you said to start out, Tom, that, uh, you know, there are lawyers who think they've greatly reduced the paper in their practice. And I s- sort of think some of these things have happened as a result of what others have done more so than what we've done. So it's I, I think I've really helped myself on the paperless side by, you know, not going to paperless billing and online billing and online statements. And I, I think a lot of that started to help. So... I'm closer than I've been in a long time, actually, but I, it just seems like there's still a long way to go. Yeah, I think so, too. I When we think about where we thought we might be this year based on where we actually are, 
I don't, and and I'm speaking more for the general legal population rather than just you or me. Um, I, I don't think that I thought we would be in any different a position. I, I with most things, lawyers are slow to adopt anything. And, and I've got to believe that there are still tons and tons of lawyers out there who are still clinging on to paper. I work with, and for the purposes of this discussion, I'm going to do some comparisons to what I do in my regular job, which is work with corporations. And corporations are not lawyers, although they have legal departments. But in general, there's a lot of non-law firm companies that I work with that think the same thing. For some reason, they need to keep that paper. What's different, though, I think, is that for some of these companies, they do. There are some regulators that still require paper records amazingly. There are some laws or practices that require what we, what we call the wet signature uh, or original signatures on contracts, on other kinds of documents. But I don't know, Dennis, in the legal field, I sort of feel that most of these requirements are going away to a certain extent. More and more courts are allowing e-filing. I would think that most courts do. I, I don't know, you know, I have no idea what the more rural areas are doing, so I could be wrong about that. But it seems to me that the requirements to keep things in paper, um, for lawyers anyway, are diminishing with the e-signatures act and, and the ability to, to sign things electronically, the need for signatures and paper is not as necessary. I don't know. Am I, am I off base on that? Or, or what, what could be the reason why people are keeping stuff in paper still? Well, I think that you know, if, if it comes to you in paper, it's likely to stay in paper. So that's that's always been an issue. I think that to react to some of the things that you were saying, I, I think that what I find is a, a lot of people asking me if we really if we can use email for signature and you know send PDFs back and forth and and so there is uh, you know for a number of reasons you know speed you can get you know documents signed the same day same time you know, all those things are are good I think there's sort of less of a requirement these days for notarization and and things like that in a lot of cases and and, and that helps um, and I think people are sort of more comfortable comfortable in general with electronic documents. Where I, where I think you start to get a lot of paper is, uh, you know, when it comes to you as paper and you figure you have to d deal with it, when you still get originals, you know, like original documents, I think it's really hard to scan and throw out. It's not hard to scan, but I think it, that throwing out part of it is is difficult. And then, uh, you know, there's there's all these, you know, file rooms and file f folders and file cabinets all, all full of paper that people are trying to decide what to do with. So I, I think that the paper is still around, but I, I think there is a, a trend out there. And, and I think we've talked about on the podcast before about the millennials who've never really owned a printer. And I noticed that because I'm co-teaching a class this year in, in law school. And what I realized was that um, I was in this sort of unusual uh, situation where the assignment, because they're written assignments, this is a drafting class. And the students turn in their assignments to me by email, Word documents. And then I'm the one who's who prints them out and hands them back with a with a grade on them, which is kind of this this odd place where I'm like, well, I didn't realize that you know, like buying paper was going to be part of 
part of teaching this class. So, so I think that sort of the uh, whether you think of it in terms of workflow or, or the inflow of documents is changing, and and I think that's that's definitely had some some impact on uh, the amount and the type of paper we use. And then I also, I th- like I said, I think I think there's a certain comfort. Um, with with PDFs and and other types of of scanned documents. So here's what's interesting to me is that when we decided to talk about this, I went back and looked at last year's uh, ABA Legal Technology Resource Center survey just to see, just to look at, and and what's interesting about the survey, and I want to talk to you and others about this, is that there really aren't questions so much about going paperless. Uh, the questions all are around scanning uh, and do you use scanners? And here's what was interesting is that only around 70% of the law firms that were surveyed, and, and those include solos, so solos all the way up to the biggest firms in the country, reported having scanners, which seems low to me. But that's really just the availability of the scanner. That doesn't really say using. When it comes to actually using the scanning software or the scanner itself, then that's actually somewhere between 48% and 60%. When you're asked, do you use the scanners, whether it's a flatbed scanner or a sheet-fed scanner um, or even a portable scanner, between 48 and 60%, even when the technology is available, 40 to 50% of lawyers are not scanning documents. So I think that that sort of bears up with what you say about if it comes into pay as paper, it stays as paper. And, and, uh, you know, what's, what's interesting to me is that of those groups that are actually uh, using the scanning, solo lawyers tend to be scanning more on average than lawyers in firms that are larger. And I, I think that maybe that's because it's easier to do that. I think, and, and one of the things I'm going to talk about when we get sort of to next step, and, and lessons are to break that cycle that if it comes in paper, it stays in paper, you've really got to have a process. It's developing that process that's repeatable and consistent. And I know a lot of firms are doing this, probably larger firms, but a lot of the companies I work with are doing this also. I mean, I'll just use one client as an example. They don't create a lot of paper, but they receive a lot of paper from outside the company. They get invoices, they get documents from vendors or customers, they get a lot of incoming mail, that sort of thing. When the when the paper comes in, it all goes to the same place. It goes to, in this case, the mail room, essentially, where there's a high-speed scanner. It's used to scan everything in. They make it available on a shared drive for the users who can then move it to other places, do other things with it. After a certain period of time, usually 30 days, maybe 60 days, that paper is automatically destroyed. 30 to 60 days to make sure that everything's okay with the scanned copy. I know that there's law firms that use a process that's similar to that, um, or, or, or sometimes assistants or lawyers are just using a simple, you know, Fujitsu scan snap. I know that's one of our, our favorite scanners to talk about as paper comes to them. Um, but I don't believe that it's happening as often in law firms as it really can be happening or should be happening, or else we'd be having more lawyers using scanners. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here as we speak looking at my uh, Fujitsu ScanSnap S1500, um, and it's just made a world of difference for me. But I still don't have a great workflow of getting everything scanned into there. And, and we'll talk about how there's multiple components to the paperless notion. And I, I think that it's not so much for me, and just speaking personally for me, of the scanning part, because I think the scanners do an amazing job these days. 
But it's it's sort of the la- latter parts of the process that are sort of what are the the inhibiting factors for me, and and I guess that when you talk about solos, uh, sort of leading the the bigger firm lawyers, that makes sense to me too because I, I think the scan snap is about five hundred dollars, and I I think as a solo. It's, fairly easy technology decision yep. but i think in a in a bigger firm even though it's not that much money given you know sort of the hourly fees and and the amount of revenue involved in large firms but i think the idea that you know a law firm is going to spend $500 to give each lawyer a scan snap to sit on his or her desk is probably not very likely so but but you don't I'll just interrupt for a second you don't really need that because even at, when I was working at the law firm the the high speed copy machines all have scanners built into them you don't need a scan snap at every desk you can go and 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 feed all your paper that you get for the day through a high speed scanner in the corner copy room and it'll take you five minutes to do it. So I, I I agree. I think it's probably cost prohibitive to give everybody a Fujitsu scan snap in the bigger firms, but there's still options for it. Yeah. And I, I agree with you on the, the high speed scanner, but I think the, my analogy there is if, if you're going to start an exercise or fitness program, you need to eliminate every potential excuse that you have not to do the exercise or to get started in the program. And when you have the scanner sitting right in front of your nose, almost on your desk, it, you've basically taken away all the excuses. Because if you, with the, the high speed, you know, copier scanner, then you can always say, oh, here's my stack of stuff to be scanned. Oh, I got to walk all the way down the hall to do, you know, you, you come up with a bunch of uh, excuses the same way as you do if you're, if you're going to work out. So I, I think that, you know, bizarrely, I guess, if you think about it, that uh, that also enters into the picture. Well, all right, Mr. Mister, Making Excuses for the Lawyers, the, the way to solve that problem is, is that the paper doesn't actually get to the lawyer, that if it's the mail or it's discovery response or if it's some other documentation that the lawyer is receiving from outside, then it doesn't get to the lawyer until it's electronic. It does, the lawyer doesn't see it because you can control that. Now, the paper that the lawyer creates – you're right. Not much you can do about that. There's there's ways around it, but I agree with you. It's it's hard to get to that point because people are ingrained. They like to do things a certain way. So, I mean, maybe maybe it, it might be helpful to think about the, the the components that you mentioned. So, what are the components that we're talking about for kind of a truly paperless solution? Well, I think there are three three steps, and then as as you point out, we won't. I don't think we're going to overly focus on uh, in this podcast. So there is this whole process notion. But I think the components are scanning, storing, and searching, or whether you want to call it searching or finding, is, to me, have always been the three components. I think what's interesting when we think about revisiting this is we go back to sort of the common themes in this that we've been talking about, processor powers, speed, storage, bandwidth, the cloud, smartphones, apps, sort of those common themes. I I think some of those all have an an impact on this. In 
each of the the categories. But but I think that we can break those down. I, I sort of think it's the storing uh, and naming thing that for me causes most of the backlog these days. So I don't know. I don't know if you want to work through each of those, uh, Tom. And and I think there's maybe a fourth component, which is avoiding turning digital, you know, original digital material into paper, which could be another piece of that. It was sort of like the anti-scanning or anti-printing component. But we talked a bit about scanning. So the scanners, I think people are pretty well set on, but... Before the podcast, Tom, you and I were talking about how I, I think it's the uh, the smartphone and the tablets and the cameras in there and using them as a scanner that, that to me, are really starting to make a difference in in my paperless approaches. Well, and frankly, that's what I do, too. And, and, and when you talk about the different components, uh, for me personally, granted, I don't have a law practice anymore. I'm a consultant, but I'm really in that that sort of mythical fourth component that you talk about. Don't turn the digital into paper in the first place. I, uh, for work, I am almost completely paperless. Uh, if I, I literally have no paper. Everything's electronic. If the client wants to print out something that I send to them, that's their prerogative. They can have it in paper. If I get paper documents from a client, which I try to discourage, but sometimes I'll be in an interview, somebody will bring paper examples for me to take a look at, I will immediately scan those records. I've got my phone or my iPad pad with me and there are some terrific scanning apps on both of them that will grab and and capture things really nicely. I think it's interesting though and I agree with you that these apps make it easier for people to scan but I think I just don't think lawyers think about them enough. I think that they don't necessarily think about scanning as much as they think about maybe taking a picture of a document which essentially is what they're doing by scanning but they they don't equate it in the same way but Coming back to the stats, the LTRC, Legal Technology Resource Center survey, says that only 5 to 6% of lawyers who use smartphones or tablets in the courtroom, now unfortunately this is only the courtroom, are using smartphones to scan documents while they're in the courthouse, somewhere in the courthouse. Now that's probably a limited question, and there may be more lawyers using scanning apps, but I found that it was really telling that in a place where you're likely to get paper records from the other side or from the court or something like that, that very few people are using using that. I use it all the time. When I'm traveling, I immediately scan my paper receipts in and I get rid of them. I, the paper receipts are gone. Um, I'm, I'm using those apps all the time, and they're really pretty some pretty good ones i i use i i prefer i'm going to give examples i prefer genius scan which actually has both android and ios versions uh and then uh, i've i was talking with Dennis earlier before the podcast about Evernote's new scannable app, which has been getting sort of lukewarm reviews, but I think it's actually pretty amazing how it can grab onto an image and do a pretty nice scan without you having to do much at all with it. Dennis, do you have any scanning apps that you prefer? Yeah, yeah. a couple things I, I wanted to say was that I think there was this evolution that you you go through, uh, and maybe some people can skip the first step, but I, I think it was a revelation for me to say, like, oh, I can use the camera in my phone to take a picture of a document. And like you said, you just store it as a photo. And then once I started to use Evernote, and I believe this is in the premium version only, uh, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, on that, but that you can scan directly into Evernote. And so you just, I just scan documents. And it's like you said, once you're traveling and you say, oh, 
the I got the hotel receipt. Boom! I just scan that right into Evernote. Uh, taxi receipt. Boom! Into Evernote. I go to do an expense report. I have everything all in one place. You go. This is great. And the next thing you know, you're starting to take, uh, you know, scan in handwritten notes. You know, mind maps. Whatever. You know, anything that's in in front of you. And and I think time you were you were also talking here earlier before we did the podcast about scannable and. Uh, how you felt that it was just like ready to go out and scan anything that that it it found <laughs> kind of crazy <laughs> but yeah. i i sort of feel the same way like once i get going on scanning with with my iphone like that i'm like okay what else what else is out here that i might as well just just pull in there so so i i think that that is one of those things where you say wow i didn't you know i have this with me and and there's this quote that's attributed to steve jobs that the the best camera for you is the one you actually have in your hand it's sort of like the best scanner for you is the one you have in your hand. And so I, I think the smartphone or tablet uh, really plays an interesting role in scanning. But I think it's, uh, and, and then, I, then I would say also the cloud is the big help because you can store everything and you can access it in multiple places. So then you say, oh, I, I, now I see this great benefit of scanning too. So it's not just to file and save space. It's so that if I'm, you know, somewhere again and travel is a great example where you go like i have some documents or that i need to to have in one place i just scan them all and then i can access them wherever i am so i think that's great so you know dropbox evernote those sort of things but i'm going to keep coming back to what i'll call like the the storage and search piece time because i still what, what will hang me up, and it does these, even as I'm uh, thinking about it now, is I start to say, should I put all these in one folder? Should I name them? Should I not name them? Just give them default names and then just search through them. Um, that that bit of, of organization and, you know, so storage, organization, search, that's where I still think I struggle with paperless and, you know, over – it's the same concepts as have been around in paperless since the beginning, but that, that sort of, you know, where do I store them? How do I name them? How do I search them? I, I still think is a bit, I mean, it's a big problem for me. So I don't, I don't know where you're at on that these days, Tom. No, I agree. I think that's still the hardest part because uh, I think that it starts with having a place, if you're scanning a document, it's having a place for that scan to go. If it's if I'm scanning it with my phone and it just stays on my phone, then that's a waste of time because I'm never going to move it off. I'm ne- I don't want to take the time to move it off my phone to another place. But if it's automatically sending it to a Dropbox folder or to Evernote or to another location, then that makes a lot of sense. If I am using the Fujitsu scan snap on my desk or I'm using the high-speed scanner down the hall and that's automatically sending it to a network drive that I've got for that, that makes it a whole lot easier. Although getting it then into a structure and a format where it's searchable becomes more interesting. I mean, the ideal situation would be that it gets fed into some sort of document management system where you can search. Ideally, you've scanned it 
using optical character recognition uh, so that it's a searchable document um, and putting it into some sort of system that allows you to do that, I think is your ideal situation. But people who are using and storing electronic records on shared drives don't have that luxury. You can't search on, on shared drives the way that you can in a document management system or even in Evernote or, or, or Dropbox or things like that. And, uh, and so having a good naming convention, having good structure for your folders and files becomes more important. And I really think that's a place where, where people start to break down and, and, and it just becomes harder than they expected it to be. Yeah, because I, I to use the, an example is uh, that I ran into recently, and this would happen whether I was scanning or I was bookmarking or, or I was doing any number of things. Tommy, you and I have talked about doing a new edition of our collaboration tools book, and so you would say, "Oh, here's a great use for uh, you know a paperless." scanning type of approach every time I you know jot down some notes have some ideas uh, you know find an interesting article want an excerpt of something I would like to throw it into one place where it's you know I can I can find it later um, and then you start to say, well, but it might be, I, I sort of start going down the same rat hole I've gone you know down for 25 years which is to say, oh is it book research? Is it research that I might use for something else? Like, how do I name it? Where do I file it? Do if I go into too many nested folders, you know, do I end up, you know, spending more time organizing that than I want? Um, also knowing if I OCR it, that I can search it, but then the search results may not be as convenient for me as throwing it all into, into one folder. So I, I think you kind of got to work through all that stuff. And I suspect... We'll get to the point where with tags and search and things like that, that the the actual throwing things into a folder notion is not as important. But, you know, I mean, about you, Tom, but, you know, however many decades it seems like we've been in the folder metaphor, it's really hard to break out of it, even though you can kind of say, I can kind of see how the tagging and tag plus search would would really work here, but... How do I make the move to that? I agree. I think that's the hardest part. So we're running late on this segment. Let's uh, let's take it out with some of our best tips and resources and things like that. I, I think from my standpoint, the best tip is really to start with the process. Uh, I'll just hammer it again and say that if you're not in the habit of doing it, um, you're not going to do it. And so developing that habit of automatically scanning things or having a process to get it get that paper scanned will get you closer to being paperless. Um, and, and there are ways to develop that process and, uh, and resources that can, uh, that can help you out with that. Dennis, what about you? Well, I think that uh, this time of year where you're looking at taxes is actually a good time to kind of look at this and, and start to say, well, can I do something where I get something like the, the scan snap? And I put in, as Tom says, some kind of process that seems doable. And maybe you just say, let me just start with my personal stuff and the tax-related and financial stuff uh, and and just 
developed some kind of process, and maybe it's where I say, like, hey, every Sunday, you know, every Saturday morning, I'm going to spend 15 minutes taking everything that came in during the week and, and scanning it um, and putting it into a folder that says 2015. And that's a good place to start and then see, see how that works for you. Because I think once you get into that habit of just scanning things, that actually makes a big difference. And if you say, I know it's going to be limited to, you know, 15 minutes on a Saturday morning and maybe it's less, then you're not saying, oh, I'm looking at thousands of pages from a year that I'm going to say, oh, I'm just going to sit down and run these through a scanner, which means that it's never going to happen. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and two quick resources that I think we both recommend. Uh, the Law Practice Division has a book, Paperless, in one hour that has some great tips and strategies for going paperless. And then uh, David Sparks, who's been a guest on this podcast before, has a, has a book, an electronic book in the iBook store called Paper Just Paperless. Um, also a really, really good resource on, uh, on becoming more paper-free. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Tom and I were joking around uh, in our end of the year look back at 2014 podcast and ask what the odds were that we'd hear more than one lawyer in 2015 complain about how everything has gone downhill since the days, the glory days of WordPerfect 5.1 for DOS. Tom told me this week that the joke was on us as he saw an extended online discussion uh, lauding and singing the praises of WordPerfect 5.1. Tom, what is up with that? So what was interesting from our podcast was that we had both gauged the odds at 100% that we would hear a number of people praise WordPerfect at some point this year. And what's it only took into February before, for me anyway, the odds paid off. I am a, a member of uh, the State Bar of Texas Computer and Technology uh, Listserv, which is a great group. People ask questions about technology issues all the time. Some, but last week, someone asked... Where's the best place to purchase six licenses for WordPerfect for computers uh, running Windows 7? There were a couple of answers, and then someone came in and asked, uh, and someone came in and said, you know, I'm a Word user. What are the advantages, of, if any, of WordPerfect over Word? Uh, which I don't know that I've ever seen a Word user ask that question. And that started literally a landslide of comments stating that WordPerfect is clearly the superior platform, that Word was forced upon all of us by the monopolists at Microsoft, uh, two things that I found that were interesting from this discussion. I stayed out of it largely. Uh, I, ha I have my biases, but I stayed out of it largely. But the first was, and I'm going to touch nerves by saying this, the first was the age of the people responding. I, I did a quick survey, and I would say that the average person responding was licensed around 1980, 
with a whole bunch in the 70s and a few in the 80s, and it makes sense to me that this generation is going to prefer WordPerfect. Um, interestingly, no responses were from lawyers licensed after 1991 uh, on there. So no younger lawyers, I would wager all of them are using Word at some point. The other interesting thing is that from responses, I just don't think that a lot of the people who are using WordPerfect or who have used WordPerfect since their early days of being a lawyer have even tried to use Microsoft Word, but they don't have a problem bashing it. They, they just are going by what they've heard, that there's no reveal codes in Word, that there are, it's just too hard, there's just too many, too, too many uh, problems with it. I think that ease of use is definitely an important requirement for any software, and most of the comments talk about how much easier it is to use than Word, but, and far be it for me to say that Word is an easy tool to use. It's not. It's, it's a powerful tool. It has a lot of features. But I would also say that given the right resources, given the right training, I was talking today, Dennis, with our friend Adriana Linares, and she, she converts firms from WordPerfect to Word all the time, and she talks about this constantly, that with the right training, you can do everything in Word that you can in WordPerfect, and then some. I, you know, I used WordPerfect until 1998. I never looked back. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised to see the reaction from WordPerfect users. It's still interesting to see it nonetheless. I have nothing against WordPerfect. I just was shocked at the vehemence uh, of the... Uh, well, I was, I, was, I was shocked and then also at the same time not shocked at the vehemence of the response. Well, I guess that, um, yeah, I've heard this for a long time, and it's it, it does really puzzle me because I, I think there are things to get all excited about with technology, but word processing is just not one of them. And for me... And I, look, I'm I'm a writer, so I and I will use as to paraphrase Steve Jobs, the best word processor is the one right in front of me. I mean, I just really don't care, and uh, I'll experiment with things because they'll do things in a different way. But I I'm not going back in time, and certainly the the idea that you, you know you're looking at some kind of DOS program like it was like the pinnacle. Uh, compared to the things you can do now in terms of automation and, and other things like that is just seems ridiculous to me. Uh, so I'm, I'm always surprised. I, and in fairness to WordPerfect, because uh, I, I saw that they had a, a booth in the exhibit hall at, at Legal Tech New York, and this will bear out your survey time because I was talking to a, to a younger lawyer friend of mine um, and I pointed out the word perfect booth and he f- first was just absolutely amazed that the company was still in business. And then he started laughing, <laughs> you know, so it's to each his own on in terms of tools, you know, and so sometimes old stuff is great. I'm just not convinced that in the world of, of software that you, if you go back 25 years, that in terms of usability, you know, all the, the all the things we've we've learned, and um, and to have a computer that runs WordPerfect five one for DOS just seems ludicrous to me. So we were kind of jokey in in the podcast time, but we knew it was going to happen. And I'm like you, I'm just surprised that it's February and and you've already you know witnessed one avalanche of the WordPerfect love. So it's great that there's a program that people are so committed to. 
Well, the word the word perfect X seven definitely works on Windows. There's a Mac version also, but I have to say I'm interested to see where WordPerfect heads. There's I I don't have any access to figure out WordPerfect's market segment, but I really want to know. And if anybody listening to this podcast can tell me what industries use WordPerfect besides lawyers, I can't think of another industry that's still using WordPerfect besides lawyers who've been licensed 25 years or more. The Legal Technology Resource Center survey says that between 15, 20% of lawyers have WordPerfect. Doesn't necessarily mean they're using it, but have it. And I think as older lawyers start to age out of the market, I would imagine that number is going to decrease. I, I also find that they're behind on mobile. Um, you know, Microsoft has really come forward with some strong offerings for the phone and for the tablet, both for iPad and Android phones and their Windows phone, not to mention their own Windows mobile. Um, and, and the word perfect offerings are very, very disappointing. And I, I just think that Corel doesn't understand the mobile market, which to me is the future. And, and I think is just another nail in the coffin of word perfect, but I'm still very interested to see uh, where this whole thing hits. And now it's time for our parting shots. One tip, website, or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I'm going to recommend an app that is at, and I'm giving a preview to to one of the apps I'm going to talk about uh, during ABA Tech Show. It is a non-legal app. It is a frivolous app, and the makers of it call it the dumbest app you'll ever have, but it's actually pretty smart. It's called Look4, and Look4 um, just gives you a screen uh, with about six colors on it. Uh, you can choose the color that you want, and uh, Look4 is essentially just to get someone's attention. Let's say you're in a crowd, and you need to catch somebody's attention. Let's say you're in a movie theater and it's dark and people, uh, the person coming in to see you can't find it. You just tell them to look for blue or look for green or look for yellow and your your phone will flash that color and show it to you. It's very simple. It's very dumb, but I could see a lot of utility in this app in uh, where your places where people need to look for something or a cab's coming to pick you up. Uh, all they have to do is look for a specific color. Um, it's a free app on both Android and iOS. It's kind of cool. Look for Dennis. Could be fabulous in haunted houses, too. <laughs> uh, so normally I recommend free stuff, you know, things that don't really cost you anything, but I'm stepping out of character with, with this parting shot, and, and I just am highly recommending the Bose QuietComfort 25 acoustic noise-canceling headphones, uh, which are sort of the standard in the noise-canceling headphone world. I was traveling a lot, and I, I just was realizing how noisy it is in planes. And even if I'm listening uh, through headphones, uh, I was turning my iPod up uh, to its highest volume. And I was having trouble hearing. And I was going, this can't be good for my ears. And how loud is it really in planes? So I you know, went for the $300 and uh, decided that noise canceling was the most important feature. And I bought these, the Bose QC25s and uh, tried them. And it's, it is a different world. It doesn't kill all the noise on the plane, but it is amazing. Um, and as soon as I turned them on, even in airports, you just appreciate uh, how much noise there really is in the background. And it was great because I'm listening to music at a much lower value than I did before um, and podcasts as, as well and the impact is really amazing so Tom I, I don't know if you use these or other noise canceling headphones but gosh I, I just really like these this is probably the best money I've spent on improving my health in a long time 
Well, you know, I am. Th- those are the over the ear, right? Yes. Yeah, I use the Bose Quiet Comfort that are the in ear. I just I didn't want to carry something that big around with me. I carry too much stuff already. But I will tell you that the in ear buds, the quiet, the noise canceling ones, are almost just as good as the over the ear. They cancel almost as much noise. They are a both. I, I second your recommendation. They're a joy to use. It's 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 really nice. I actually I actually use my Bose in ear earbuds to do uh, conference calls and things like that when I uh, when. I need to take calls on the road. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can also get to archives of all of our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have a question you want answered or a topic from an upcoming podcast, please email us at TKMReport or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile, and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.